0: This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Cogland. I, I led with a chin on that one and got what I deserved. Scott Owen.
1: Just a mute button, people, don't worry.
0: And Adam Pace. <laughs> it's
1: good to see that you're listening.
0: Starting now. It's September and that means the new A-League season is getting closer and closer. It also means that we've got to recap the Australia Cup semi-final here on the Brisbane Football Review as we gear up for another episode. Yes, I'm sorry, we are going to have to talk about Sunday's semi-final loss in Sydney. It's James, Scott and Adam here with you to do that. And well, Scott, outside of that result, how are you going?
1: Apart from the result on Sunday afternoon, it was a fantastic weekend of football in the local game. Adam, James, sorry, and yeah, I'm going well. How are you?
0: Yeah, not too bad. It's also the start of NFL season, so I'm running on a
1: lot of caffeine right now, Adam.
0: Are you feeling a little bit neutral uh, after everything? Because it feels uh, like it, 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 things have cancelled out for you uh, across the leagues.
2: Yeah, look, uh, fr- Friday night, Saturday were fantastic. Sunday probably cancelled that out. So, yeah, look, all, all in all, we sort of, you now we'll call a draw and move on.
0: If only we could have done that. Yes. Uh, let's get on to uh, proceedings now for the latest episode. Uh, And we may as well just uh, say, yes, there will be a recap of the Sydney United uh, defeat in extra time. However, we will also keep you engaged with a little talk about the Roars A-League women uh, signings because there's a few things to uh, discuss there. And also we'll present our uh, Football Queensland men's teams of the season. Stay tuned. I'm sure there will be a few surprises on that as well. As, uh, yeah, we will try and cover all this stuff going on. If you want to get in touch with us, our email is BrisbaneFootballReview at gmail.com, Facebook, The Raw Review, Twitter at BNEFootball, Instagram is Brisbane Football Review. You can find live coverage of all the featured matches on that uh, page. And uh, we're on our new podcast home of Anchor as well. And if you are tuning in on uh, Anchor, Spotify, or one of those other non-Apple podcast platforms. We may have a new Apple feed for you to subscribe to by the time this uh, episode comes out. I think that's all the plugs. Let's get on to the football. And it was...
1: Now let's keep well, going with the plugs. Let's just keep going.
0: <laughs> yeah, well. Look, it wasn't a great afternoon on Sunday. Weather-wise, it was nice, I suppose. Scott, the roar went down in extra time to Sydney United.
1: The weather was fantastic up here in Brisbane on Sunday. It was a great day to be out and about. Unfortunately, we are watching a... Um quite interesting Australia Cup tie I thought the Royal were okay in the first half they just didn't take their chances they could, they probably could and should have put the tie away pretty quickly but they missed their chances and they went 2-1 up from the penalty spot and from that point you thought okay they'll be able to see the game out against the tiring Sydney United but so you've got to give them credit they were they were ferocious and from that point on I thought they were the better team and I think about 2 all in extra time I thought the Royal were really struggling and it seemed like the goal was coming and it was a good finish when it came for City United, Trofiro off the bench. But it just seemed like from that point out at about the hour mark, it started heading south to the Raw. And it's really interesting to work out exactly what happened and triggered that.
0: If only there was a clear-cut answer. I will say as well, like, as frustrating as that game was for a Raw supporter, I couldn't help but get a little bit caught up in, I suppose, the spectacle of it as well. You know, the cup is built on these sorts of npl against a league sides and look if i wasn't a raw fan i probably would have enjoyed that uh, outcome a hell of a lot more
2: well that's exactly it the, the uh, it's a case of it's very very tough you know yeah, you know, at this stage when you when you're you're a raw supporter and you know, you're taking on a taking on member federation side and they're still in the game with an out with after the hour mark but it's very very hard to sort of you know yeah sort of reach to sort of, separate yourself because i said it's this as as you said this competition built on that you hope of the underdog story um so it gets up and in this case you know the raw sort of you know for a lot of the way sort of you know especially against adelaide for example they were the underdogs in that so obviously had no problems steering home but yeah look uh there it was a very very hard watch especially you know watching you know city united you know get, get get back in the game uh Sort of, you know, late late in the in the half, in second half.
0: Yeah, I have to admit, when the raw went up two one from Charlie Austin's penalty, I thought I thought that was going to be it. I thought they would find a way to not only close out the game, but possibly even try and find a way to add a third one. But the way you summed it up uh, there, Scott, basically, pretty much, I can't I can't build on that because it
1: felt like the raw thought the game was pretty much going to be comfortable from that point of 2-1 as well. The way they're in front. The professional side, the fitness, all to carry through. But did it seem like something changed after that? I know they have made a couple of changes. Sydney United bringing on Traffera and a couple of others that made it a bit more spark. But it just seemed like it just the game completely changed. And I can't put my finger on why it changed because there's nothing really major happened that triggered it.
0: For me, I keep coming back to whether or not Scott, you might have thought was the synthetic pitch playing any sort of role as well? do you think maybe it got in their heads a little bit?
1: I don't think so I'm sure they' I'm pretty sure they all were training on synthetic pitches all week so I imagine they would have done their, their research on that and if it's a if it's a less than desirable pitch it's still the same for both sides I know they're probably more familiar with it but still the same for both sides I don't think that's a a valuable excuse I wouldn't be using it that's for sure I
2: just think for my, I actually think that the sort of the worries actually, or the what what uh, the the game changed. Actually, I think with Jay O'Shea's missed penalty just for half time, you sort of if you have a sliding doors moment, if he converts that, two one going into the half, uh, and then yeah, obviously then Charlie Austin makes it three one. That's a very very different ball game. And uh, and I just think that you know that the roar I think they left a lot on the table as far as allowing Sydney United to sustain the game, give them hope, you know, and and taking their chances. because um, in that extra, in that extra period, it was, it was actually Sydney. That were the ones that were, you know, that basically were, you know, sort of really playing their hand and really sort of going for it. I actually think that the raw, the raw's tactics were almost reminiscent of, oh, we'll just, we'll just uh, get to get to penalties and see what happens, because they really sort of in that that second half, in that first half of extra time, especially by having uh, a ton of possession, they really did not much did not do much with it. It was the same old, tied tired sort of you no know, tactics and whatnot, and yeah, it just, it just to me, they, I think they just got their um the tactics all wrong, and I just think, I, I just think overall, I think they may be the, you know, they may never admit it or you know, sort of subconsciously, I just think it's a case of there was a bit of complacency, and they thought that at some point Sydney United would go away, but in front of you know, three thousand rabid Croats, you know, with all due respect to them. Um, yeah, like so, they were always going you know, to wheel this team on, and they just kept on coming back, coming back at them. So, um, yeah, I think it, I think it's a combination of things, but uh, either way, you know, look, well done, Sydney United. You know, they they had the first team, you know, first member federation team to make an Australia Cup final. But I also think that the raw somewhat, you know, sort of, you know, they they got it wrong, and especially at the start of extra time.
1: Oh, it's a huge opportunity missed for the raw. It's probably the closest I've been to a trophy in the last three or four years, and it's uh, a big, big opportunity missed, but. With the tactics, it seemed like they only really had one clear idea, James. Get the ball wide for Henry Hoare and Nicola Miller. Also, who were quite good in the game, but get them the ball and then get the cutbacks into the box. And it seemed like if, when that broke down and when City United found ways to nullify that, didn't really seem like they had any other op- options and ideas of how to break down City United. So maybe that's what they have to look at. Yes, we know the Roar have got really good, tricky wingers and they're quick and it's a fruitful path. But when teams close that down, maybe they need to look for an, an alternative option to break teams down.
2: Yeah, just one one i say just one thing as well. I just wonder if you know Daniel Nizic and his he's imposing presence in the box, did that uh, I'm going to say did almost sort of you know sort of, you know, stop the Raw from thinking, you know, trying that, air, that aerial game, you know, trying to cross high into the box, looking for that header. You know, that the fact that you know, he's got such a presence and you know, and showing that you know, he, he can catch a good high ball. Did that, you know, sort of really limit the options of the Raw's attack with thinking, oh, you know what, if they even get their, their cross even, you know, off par, you know, somewhat, that um, yeah, that Nisic was just gobbled up and it was just a waste opportunity. So I just wonder if his presence
1: actually changed the game. It might have been for the first 105 minutes, but the last 15 minutes, James, all I did was pump the ball long into the box at, at Cyrus Demi, who came on, and I thought that was naive to say the least. I mean, we've all seen Cyrus Demi. we know he hasn't had the greatest of runs in this first team, James, but we've all seen him at his best in the MPL. And it's not back to goal balls lumped up to his head for flick-ons and headers and all the rest of it. It's when he's got space to run, at defenders running at players with with his pace. That's when he's causing the most threat. And I thought it was really odd that he was thrust on as a target man, James, not for the first time. I found that really, really odd that he was utilized in that way. And I think if they were all going to use him and I think they should use Cyrus, I mean, he's a really good player, but I'm not sure that's the best use of him. I think he's better running at players with his trickery. I think that's where maybe they might've looked at that and thought maybe that wasn't the right way to go about it. Just a thought that I had.
0: Just conversely on that though is, would Demi have had a whole lot of room to you know, work his magic in what was a very, very, very congested box? Because, like, to their credit, Sydney United said, all right, we've got the lead, now it's time to hold out. And maybe that was the case where they say, you know, let's just get the ball into the box and hope there's a little bit of chaos and someone can scrap an equaliser because you're probably not breaking down a side like that as well. The other point I wanted to make as well, and once again, like, You know, there is a certain amount of blame that does have to go to the roar as well. But you've got to give Sydney United credit as well. The only thing that I find completely disingenuous when it comes to um, finding excuses for that and everything, the whole argument that Sydney United were, you know, several months out of season, allegedly, when they really weren't. It's not like they're coming off uh, what it was in 2021, where they'd spent several months just sitting around scratching themselves, wondering if they were going to get a game. What they'd had was, what their final league game was, because I I looked this up when we were talking about it on Sunday, their final league game was July 31st. uh, They had a Western United game in the Cup on the 14th of August, so two weeks in between, not a huge gap.
1: They also had a Waratah Cup game on the 7th, by the way. That was their last local Mm. game.
0: Okay, thank you. So they played on the 31st, on the 7th, on the 14th of August. They'd had the weekend of the 21st off. They played on the twenty eighth. That had a week off after that and played again on the fourteenth. They were absolutely not out of season. They knew the games were still coming. So to say that uh, they got beaten by an, to say that the raw got beaten by a team that was weeks or even months out of season is completely disingenuous and just like once again a horribly defeatist attitude.
2: Look, I actually think that's really insulting to Sydney United. I think uh, you know, Miro Vlasilika and his and his team—they they deserve credit to be able to to keep on turning up, even though they are not playing league games every week. two-week gaps. You know, plus you know, obviously maybe some inter inter game, you know, inter squad games in between all that. That, that to me seems almost like a perfect sort of build up. But they're not worrying about injury. That you know, the players that can come in, and also as well, you know, the fact that they were missing two of their key players, in Jacob and Jacob Poscalero and and Johnny Friend Friend. Sorry, Papagiannis.
1: Sorry, also known as there. the um, goal scorer against Peninsular Power. Yeah, they're, yep. they're,
2: they're both missing for family reasons, so there's still a bit bit of talent to come back into the side. So, um, yeah, look, I think yeah, you know, while we while we up here we'll ponder what went wrong for the raw, look, I also think that yeah, you know, there is a bit of you know disingenuous as you called it, saying that you know what that I think that we don't give Sydney United as much credit as they deserve because they certainly showed us something that we didn't see in that Peninsular Power. You know, quarterfinals, well, they, they show us a whole new level, and look, this is a, again, I keep on saying, it, this is a very good side, and you know, they deserve their credit, and they took their opportunities and won, they didn't lie down and, you know, say, oh, we're happy to be here. We're in that mentality of, hey, let's get to the final, let's create history, and look how, how it played out. And that's the other thing as well,
0: you mentioned there, Adam, uh, uh, that Penn Power game, that was, this was a very, very different game to the way that Power 1 unfolded, so the fact that they were able to win it a different way to how they came up to uh, AJ Kelly Park, you've got to give them plenty of credit too. Yes, okay, I get that it's frustrating. I think we're all, you know, mm-hmm. really annoyed that the Raw lost. But, again, you don't want to cheapen what was otherwise, yeah. I would say, a really good effort from Sydney United. Scott?
1: It was two very contrasting forms, wasn't it? The game against um, Pinsular Power, you spoke about, they were really defensive-minded, really solid defensively, and never really pushed into the... Peninsula Power half, even after about 20 minutes after they got their goal, they never really pushed forward and threatened Peninsula Power after that. But this game here, they were very much willing to push forward and have a real crack at the Raw. And to to, to their credit to your point, they were able to open up some really good opportunities and they were clinical and took them. And that's ultimately the difference, James. They took their chances when they came and the Raw didn't.
0: Yep. That, that's pretty much it. And the other point on that as well, I do want to touch on uh, before we move on, going back to a Raw perspective as well. One thing you said on Sunday really did jump out at me, Scott, and it's, it, it feels like the chance of a trophy in the Warren Moon era is slipping away. And you, you're right, that did feel like it was going to be the best chance uh, for the Raw to win a trophy under Warren Moon. Well, that was the best chance so
1: far. It's, the, it's the closest all have been to a trophy since the um, infamous game at Amy Park on the men's side. Anyway, there was one trophy on the women's and the youth side since then. But on the yes. men's side, this is the um, closest they've been since that final round match at Victory where they needed a win to secure uh, the premiership. It didn't happen. This has been the closest they've been really since then. And it just seems like a real missed opportunity, doesn't it? I mean, a lot we were all looking at it. the really, um a semi-final against a member federation side. And then you had... The final against either MacArthur or Oakley Cannons, Oxley Cannons as we like to call them around here, either way it was a good opportunity to potentially pick up a first trophy on the men's side in almost a decade and um, it is a real opportunity missed but again, Sydney United came and they took it and they've been fantastic in this cup run and I'm really intrigued to see how they go in the final, I mean, I remember Federation side in the final, something a lot of people have wanted to see, here in Brisbane this isn't the way we wanted it to happen but... It's still gonna be a terrific occasion in a couple of weeks, and I look I wish them all the best.
2: I just think as well. I think I think a lot of the hostility that has come out from the raw fans towards the club, towards the players, towards the coach has been, I think, based on the fact is that a lot of frustration that you know seeing that yeah, you know, how can an A-League team lose to a member federation team in this situation? Well, it's nine nine of the twelve clubs. Have lost in the history of this competition to a men's federation team, so you know it is what it is. Like obviously, it might be born out of a little bit of ignorance that you know, uh, rather than sort of you know playing, seeing what is ahead of them, and actually saying, you know what, this this is a football game. It's not it's not preordained result. So, but I think a lot of frustration was this is the raws best chance to get to the final, potentially get to get a trophy, and I think yeah, a lot of hostility that has come out. Well, it's the usual sort of suspects that are feigning this. I think, yeah, I think the, the, the sense that you know it was a blown opportunity for Silverware. I think that's what's got a lot of people sort of you know upset in these parts. But look, I I share Scott's uh, thoughts that you know what, uh, you know, better like the Sydney United in the in the uh, Australia Cup final. Look, I actually think that we could even have a situation where we might have two member federation uh, you know clubs that are going to fight out for the final because uh, look, I think Open You've got a very, very good chance of knocking off Macarthur um, in the other semi final uh, t- tomorrow night, uh, Wednesday night, if you listen to it.
0: Yeah, I-, I completely agree with that. And it's going to be really interesting to see how uh, it plays out going forward as well because from an A-League perspective, the fact that, uh, the fact that uh, it isn't an all-A-League final for the first time in the competition's history is probably going to serve as some form of uh, wake-up call. To the clubs where they say yes, okay, it is still technically a tournament in pre-season, and I use the air quotes on that as opposed to calling it a pre-season tournament. But it is still a trophy, and there is something tangible on the line now with a berth in the AFC Cup. So I think you might see league-wide going forward maybe a little bit more of a encouragement to try and win this trophy as well because it will going into the season, like, if the Raw did manage to win this uh, trophy, can you imagine, like, it would have created just that little bit more excitement. Anyway, I think that's enough on that game. I've talked my way uh, through it as well. Let's focus on the women for a little bit, shall we? All right. Yep. All right. So the Raw have announced uh, their latest signing for the uh, A-League women's uh, side, and that was defender Annie Haffenden, who's coming back from a pretty Interesting uh, off-season as well, as uh, I'm just bringing up the full squad list that has been announced uh, thus far. half is going to be a really but solid addition to the back line. She played uh, quite regularly last year as well. I think she only missed one game from memory, Scott. So
1: she had the red card against Sydney FC, and that was really the only blip in a pretty good season, next year for her as a first year at the Raw. And a, a defence with the Raw, which got better as it went on, didn't it? By the end of the year, it was a pretty solid back line, and, Annie Haffenden was a key part of that. So to have her back for this season is a, is a solid boost for the Raw. And maybe we know they were missing Holly McQueen last year. Maybe she can come back and they can start to form a partnership there. But it's a, it's a good addition for the Raw to know about that. And it's a, the squad's coming along quite nicely, isn't it, James?
0: Yeah, you just look at the uh, list of signings in the uh, write-up on the Raw website. You can start to see what could be an opening day starting eleven just from the players that have been announced so far.
2: Yeah, I think I think it's all. all we always say that um, defence, you know, builds, you know, you know, wins championships. And you know, this this while it's a, while it's a young defensive uh, line, I think it's one that yeah, is certainly you know full full of promise. You know, obviously, you know, Annie Hafen, Holly McQueen, Jim, uh, Jamila Rankin. You throw in also Talitha, uh Kramer as well on the other side. I think it, it's it's making of you know a very solid back four. Um, and obviously, then you know, it's obviously up to the, the rest of the squad to sort of, you know, provide that. But, um, look, it's a good foundation as far as the players they've signed. And, and like I said, there's obviously still more to come.
1: There is. And intriguing actually, to um, see how the front there works as well with the um the old Lions combination, not this year, but of um Marielle Hecker and Shay Connors combining. And Shay's had another really good year down there for RPL like in the women's competition in New South Wales. And int- intriguing to see how she's improved proved it a season down there at that level and what she can bring in a second full season at the Raw. So there's some interest, it's a real intrigue around this side, James. They weren't far away last year. It started slowly, but they got better and better. If the season had gone another two or three weeks, they might have now to sneak into the top four. So I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about this side. We haven't even spoken about the midfield where they've got a certain Matilda returning.
0: Yeah, exactly. And getting St. Matilda back is going to be a huge addition as well for them. But just, yeah, you you mentioned the front third as well, and I feel like, by and large, last year it was down to cohesion. Maybe there were a few early games where they just weren't quite clicking or entirely sure of where it was going to be, and maybe I overestimated at in the early stages last year the value of playing with or against one another in the NPL competition, but you bring back the bulk of that squad and even going against the better teams in the competition, they were right there in a lot of the time too. Like I remember that home game against Melbourne city where Barbieri um, stopped a long range shot from, I want to say Holly Palmer to uh, prevent the late equaliser as well. So there is, there is plenty to work with plenty to be excited about as well. And uh, just have to see how the rest of the squad fills out. Um, as the announcements continue to come through
2: i think that's what it comes down and i think also as well you now like you you look at you look at the name squad and that, that that's a pretty good 11 uh, but obviously then you know you need you need to have the depth around and perhaps you know one or two players that are probably you know potentially first team players but um yeah look uh we, we starting to see across the league you now teams starting to be put together and all that i i, I still think it without turning this into a preview because i of of the uh a league women's season is still a bit way to go but look i i think it, it might be up there with um with some of the better squads in the league uh but uh but yeah i think obviously the, the usual suspects are going to be at the top again
1: i might make a sign that says um don't bet against jeff Hopkins. clearly i'll noted. leave, oh, I I'll leave it at that in terms of the um Rest of the competition, but I do think the Raw are going to have a really strong year. And again, with the majority of the squad coming back for a second year, James, along with a couple of new additions in and around the thing, I, I think the Raw are well positioned to make a run back into the finals race.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. All right, um, that's the uh, yeah. Well, it is still a couple of months away from the start of the uh, A League Women season as well. So it
1: would be nice at some point too. By the way, it's long delay yeah, on oh, those. it right. hasn't even been. Oh
2: mm. had... yeah been a long old well, delay on that. It's very, very hard to preview when you don't even know when, where and when they're playing. So I suppose, yeah, we'll have to keep that preview on ice.
0: Sp- speaking of, uh, depending on uh, how the World Cup goes, you guys uh, may be on your own <laughs> uh, first couple of weeks as well. I may be otherwise occupied.
2: Well, that's right. You, expecting
1: you, got, you, you guys like call
0: up, right are on October. Hmm? Yep. Uh, I, think, I think there's a chance I might fill in at left back.
1: Well, based on what we saw in junior, half a chance. Anyone with a left foot's a good chance, I think.
0: Ah, damn it!
1: Maybe. Oh, if you haven't got a left foot, maybe you can go for right back. That was also a weakness. But yeah.
0: Anyway, um, moving on, and um, well, look, we're not going to try and drag this out any longer than we absolutely have to. So let's move on to the third point that we were going to discuss, which was our uh, teams of the season for the FQPL and NPL men's competitions. Now, I'm thinking we work from FQPL to up. If that's all right with you guys? Yep. Okay, let's start. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Okay, well, since Adam's uh, internet is just freezing up a little bit on my end, let's go with you, Scott, for your FQPL2 team of the season.
1: Okay, well, this won't be a surprise to anyone who's watched FQPL2 this season. Surface Paradise Apollo were the dominant side, and and I have gone largely off that side. So in goal for me is Harvey Rivers of Surface Paradise, I also have the back four from surface parrots at the weekend. I'm um, Zach Kalanarkis, Tyler Wagstaff, Adam Powell and Brad Scott. They were a tremendous backline all year. They could the fewest goals in the competition. A league which we refer to, James, as the League of Goals. So to have a really good defensive record in a league with so many goals scored speaks volumes of the work that they've done. So I've gone with that back four. In midfield, I've got James Keogh of Wyndham Wolves and Bruno Rodriguez of surface Paradise, and then a front four of Ren Yoshioka of Wynnum Wolves. Patrick Theodore, a mid-season audition for Sanford, almost fired them into the top four. Olavo Santos Akumura, an outstanding season in a side which were relegated, but 20-odd goals will get you in. And then Teddy Watson, the golden boot leader, and Player of the Year is announced on Friday night up front with a bench of Harrison Royley, Reese Hills, Thomas Ross, Marcus Allison, Jack Perrone, Alistair Russell, and Byron McLeod. And the Coach of the Year is Alex Morrison.
2: Adam, over to you. Okay, my um my team of year is as follows, uh in a 4-3-3 formation. Uh goalkeeper Harvey Rivers, no no sort of surprise there. Uh a back four of Yuya Ono, Sean Lewis, Adam Powell, and Thomas Ross. In midfield, I've got uh, Riley Forsyth from Sanford, Graham Fife and Bruno Rodriguez, and a front line of Lavo Santos, Teddy Watson and Byron McLeod. And on the bench, uh, Mitch Perkins, reserve goalkeeper from Wolves, Reese Hills and Tyler Wagstaff, Lee Warren from uh, Magic United, Zach Kalinarkos, Ali Russell, Jack Perrone, uh, Fords, and the coach, uh, the the uh, double winning coach, Alex Morrison. Uh, my
0: team of the year, Surface Paradise is starting 11, plain and simple. I almost
1: picked that. What are you talking
0: about, Dick? <laughs> I. I, I, I'm not even kidding. Like, they were just that good this year. So uh, let's move on now and go to the FQPL1 team of the season, which concluded with a unbelievably epic grand final on Saturday at Parc de Paris uh, between the top two sides. So we'll be featuring NPL uh, this year, Rochdale and Redlands, Adam.
2: Yeah. Um, oh, look, epic game. And uh, so my turn first. That's why I went to you. Okay, fair enough. Just, just checking. Okay, the FQPL one Team of the Year, 4-3-3 formation again. In goals are Ryan Govan from Redlands, uh, a back four of Dylan Brent, Sean Corr from Southside Eagles, Mirko Crociardi from Southwest Queensland Thunder, and Dolores Toshimi from Magpies Crusaders, the midfield of uh, Greg Cheshire from Rochdale, Ria from Redlands, and Ethan Grimley from Brisbane Strikers, and the forwards of Agil Santana from... From, from Redlands, Marek uh from Rochdale and Morgan Saunders from Magpies Crusaders. The bench, Jared Tyson from Sunshine Coast Fire. Uh, defenders are Noah Hitchcock and Wes Hall. Uh, Braden Doolan, Ben Holliday, Adam Edgar and Ole Dinkahinde. And the coach
1: is Graham Harvey.
0: Okay, uh, let's go over to you, Scott. All
1: right, so my team of the... Um there were two dominant teams, obviously Rochdale and Redlands, and my team's pretty stacked with those two teams. But in goal, it's Matt Lugo from from Rochdale. Rowers a back four of Dylan Brent from Redlands, Angus Broderick from Redlands, Alex Tabillion from Rochdale, and then Noah Hitchcock from Redlands. Midfield yeah. is all from it's all Redlands of James Bonomi, Sam Langley, and Rio Amoto, and then the front three of Ole Dinka and then the Golden Boot winning duo of Marek Madley and Guy Santana. The bench is, is um. Jared Tyson of Sunshine Coast, Liam Macarthur of Rochedale, Mirko Crocciati of Thunder, Jackson Rossi Rochdale, Ryota Sumiyoshi, Juan James of Sunshine Coast Fire had a really good year for them, and Michael Lyle of Magpies also a terrific year for them. The coach is the same as Adam; it's Graham Harvey.
0: Yep. Okay, I am going for my team of the season. Uh, four two, technically, it's actually closer to a four-two-four four than a four-two-three-one, but anyway, uh, Matt Lugo in goals. Uh, the back four, Dylan Brent, Alex Tavion, Mirko Crociati and Wade Hall from uh, Southwest West Queensland. Um, midfield two, I suppose. Um, Sam Langley and Charlie Slaney from Strikers. Um, the front four, Ryo Amoto, Gil Santana, Olaid Yinka and Marek Madley leading the line. The bench, uh, Jared Tyson, Delos Tuyashime, uh, Broderick Bonamy from Redlands, Greg Cheshire and Michael Lyle as well. Um, and now we will move on to the top division, which also concluded with a pretty epic grand final as well. Uh, Olympic and Gold Coast night playing out at thoroughly entertaining 90 minutes that, at certain points, uh, threatened to boil over. Uh, I'll lead off this time cause well, I can stand
1: up. up. Yeah. If you threw to me first, I was going to throw it right back to you, by the way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, I'm going for a 3 5 2 formation in large part because the first nine names that jumped out at me fit this uh, best. And then, um, yeah, I feel like I picked the best 16 play or well, 17 players overall. I may have cheated and added an extra uh, body on the bench. Uh, my, my goalkeeper is Aidan Munford from Lions. Premiership-winning goalkeeper. Uh, back three of Austin Ludwig uh, from Gold Coast Knights, Blake Thompson from Gold Coast United and Tommy Jarrod from Lions. Uh, the two holding midfielders, I've got Tyson Martin and Max Brown. The attacking midfielder, uh, Joe Duckworth. The wide players, Josh Woolley from Penn Power and Pasquale DeVita, who scored the game-sealing goal. And the front two, Ante Pogliak and Alex Techner. And then on the bench... Josh Langdon, the reserve goalkeeper, Greenwood and McHenry from Power, Kai Bolton from City, uh, Malachi Love-Samira from Penn Power, and Shane Smeltz uh, from Gold Coast United. I could very easily have picked an entire bench of strikers, and I probably could have actually picked uh, very close to a starting 11 based entirely of strikers as well. If I missed out on you, please don't be angry, but, yeah. Uh, let's go over to Adam then, since Scott doesn't want to go
2: yeah, he's t- saying that taking the liberties uh, going last here. But anyway, uh, my MPL Queensland team of the year. Um it- again, I'm going with the standard 4-3-3 formation in goals, uh Aiden Munford from Lions. Uh the b- back four of Hayden McHenry from Peninsular Power, Tommy Gerrard from uh Lyons. Danny Driver from Olympic and Lewis Greenwood from Peninsula Power. Uh, A midfield of Joe Duckworth from Lions. Daniel Cunha from East and Kai Bolton from Brisbane City. And a front three of Alex Fechner from Lions, Andy Pengelly from Lions and Ante Poliak from Gold Coast Knights. Uh, On the bench, uh, Josh Langdon is the reserve goalkeeper uh, from Gold Coast Knights. Uh, Daniel Bowles... and Blake Thompson from City and Gold Coast United, respectively. Austin Ludwig from Gold Coast Knights. Uh, Joseph Hitchcock from Peninsula Power, and the and the forwards are, are Yuta Hirayama from City and Shannon Brady from uh, from Olympic. And the coach is the uh, Grand Final winning
1: coach, Scott McDonald. Oh yeah,
0: McDonald for my coach too.
2: Scott.
1: Oh, okay, good. All right. No. So for me, I've gone with a three-four-three three formation. In goal is Aiden Munford from Lions. The back three: Tommy Gerard and Ethan Doherty, both of Lions, and Daniel Bolton had an outstanding year for Brisbane City, running at the back three. Ah, uh, the the two fullbacks are wingbacks: Lewis Greenwood from Peninsula Power and Kai Bolton from Brisbane City. In the middle of midfield is um the Lions duo of Joe Duckworth and Matt Rydenton. and I thought they were superb in the middle of the park for Lions this year. In the front third. Is Shannon Brady on the right-hand side, Alex Vechner off the left, and Andy Pengelly through the middle. Ah, uh, the bench is Riley Stent of Brisbane City, Hayden McHenry, Blake Thompson, Josh Woolley, Daniel Leck, Rio Ono, and Anthony Poliak. With the coach, uh, for me, it's Darren Shine, the premiership-winning coach. It's my go-to year, so I've gone for for Darren Syme.
0: Fair enough. All right, so that's actually about all, uh, all of that that I can think of, guys. Oh, oh no, hang on, Scott. You did just remind me before there was one last thing we wanted to get into. Cameron Atfield's uh, story from earlier today about the Lord Mayor of Brisbane throwing his uh, support behind a boutique stadium in Brisbane.
1: Yes, he's uh, quote the demand of force Uncle Sam means that there is a growing argument in favour of a boutique regular stadium. Regular rectangular stadium, I beg your pardon, in Brisbane. So it's the first time any publicly elected official that I can recall, James, has actually suggested that a boutique rectangular stadium in Brisbane is actually required. And given we've got the Olympics coming up in a decade's time and the World Cup next year and a rugby union World Cup in in between there as well, it seems like a really good time for this argument to be cropping up. But this is the first time an elected official has actually said could be on the table
0: i think i think it's encouraging like we we're not going to spend the next half an hour going through the stadium debate because quite frankly i'm tired and i think i just heard my son crying in the background so adam we'll get your thoughts on this
2: uh, look. To be honest, it's the same sort of Deb Pem response. I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, look. To to be honest, it's it's good to get Adrian Shriners, you know, to quote. But you know, like I said, it, it comes down to it, it, it. It's almost like a wish list thing, yo, know, for them. You know, the, the 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 noise you want to hear from is from the likes of and and stage Paul Shay or stilling Hitchcliff or anything like that. So look, until such a time that there is, a uh, look. It, it's great that it's in the forefront, but, you know, again, you know, I, I, I sort of, you know, see it, believe it, I'll believe it when I see it. Yep. Fair.
0: That's pretty much what I'm thinking on that as well, is it's going – it's great, but <laughs> I'm not sure if the city council are the ones that are really going to be there to make it make it all work.
1: They run anyway. that land plot, plot of land. I mean, it's, from Cameron Afford. it's about Park de Puri, isn't it? So I think yeah. that's council land, isn't it, technically? So they would yeah. have a fair part of it, but I, I do agree with you. It's a uh, until you see some actual activity on it. It's just words, but it's the closest we've ever got to actual mm. words coming from a politician on this front. So it's it, it's a step in the
0: right response. direction. It's a step in the right direction, and I don't want to underplay that angle of it but I also wouldn't get too excited for the uh, uh,
2: Very, very baby steps. Um, yeah, look, yeah, the City Council are the ones that probably own that, but I think there's a fight on multiple fronts. And in fact, I reckon that, you know, I actually think that, you know, if the inference is that it'd be, that the uh, plot of land would be Perry Park, uh, I reckon if some of those residents in that that area would have catch wind of that, I think that, you know, uh, Council Shrin will have a very, very different fight on his hands, I think, because uh, obviously that is a residential area. And uh, so, so yeah, it's funny how these things work out. But, look, I'll believe when I see it.
0: Yep. And that's going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you very much, Scott.
1: Good talk to you again, James.
0: Definitely. Thank you, Adam.
2: Yep. Thank you. And good night, gentlemen.
0: Yes. uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening. Stay tuned for NPL Sunday coming up to recap the women's semi-finals this weekend. Yes?
1: Yes, two more, two more NPL nine Sunday nine.
0: shows for the year. Yep, that's right. And then we'll be back with our next Brisbane Football Review episode proper uh, to recap the NPL seasons. And uh, then it's pretty much all steam ahead for the A-League. So a whole lot to look forward to. Oh, and there's that little thing called the World Cup as well. I can't wait for the end of the Never year.
1: Never
0: heard of it. What? <laughs> Go figure. All right, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, get out and enjoy the what's left of the local football season and... We'll talk to you later.